Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have together in your house. And I pray as we open up your word, you'll help us to see, um, help us to do some self-examination as to what path we're on. And if we're honest, Lord, we kind of jump from one path to the next. And I pray that in the totality of our lives, we've, we've done the hard work. We've done um, the truth of knowing that you lead us and we should follow you more than anything else. And I pray, Lord, that we would grow closer to you. We would help others grow closer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs chapter 4. I am going to, we'll read it together, <clears throat> and then we'll break it down. There's something kind of cool I want to just make mention. We get to verse 4. There's a quote, which is all coming from David. So we're reading through Proverbs, written by Solomon to his son, and he starts quoting his own dad, which is David, King David. So you'll see in verse 4, there's quotation marks in most of our translations, and you get to see that this is David's words being given through Solomon to his grandson. It's kind of cool. So we'll read this together. <clears throat> verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let me hold, let your heart hold fast my word. Keep my commandments and live. Let your heart, oh, I already said that. Get wisdom. I'll just read from this. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my word, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you into the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her. She is your life. So I'll just pick it up to 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of, of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And so we have this picture that Solomon is trying to get his son to understand. That life is not... Life's not about having it all together, but it's also not about just ignoring the fact that there are things that pull us from one path to the next. That we have to put some due diligence towards our efforts of knowing God, but we also can't just rely upon our own standing. We talked about that last week. We can't do it all alone. And he starts with this foundational truth that talking about himself, he's saying, O oh, son... Father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, saying when I was little, the only one in the sight of my mother, only child, he taught me and he said to me. 
saying like, I was with my dad. My dad taught me this. This is who it is. This is who I am. This is what you do. This is everything we talk about in Christian life, setting the kindling around the fire of your kids and then waiting for the Holy Spirit to light it on fire with truth and grace. That we do everything we can as parents to raise our kids in a way that they're going to make wise decisions. They're going to make um, they're going to work hard. They're not going to fall away from faith, and they're also not going to end up being pulled away into bad decision-making by other people. So we want our children to be strong and confident and happy, and that's the hope for all of us, right? Now, if you remember what it was like when you were a child, was life always great and happy? Has it always been a bed of roses? Has it always been perfect? Of course not. So then what did you hold on to that helped get through all of those things? There has been a couple times in my life, my dad was not the spiritual leader of our house. He wasn't the guy that I really talked about that stuff at all. Um, even to this day, our conversations with faith are pretty short, not pretty limited. We have them, but it's not, uh, my dad and I aren't sitting down and reading through the Bible, put it that way. But there are these things that he's imparted in me as a little kid that are still with me today that I try to impart into my children as well. Dad has always been the guy that if you needed to, somebody needed help or needed something fixed or needed something worked on, he was always there. Almost to a fault was he giving him of himself to people around him. And then I also want Dad to give a little himself. And so then there's, but there's always this passion of I'm going to help that guy out. I'm going to help the person out. The person's in need. I'm going to do that. My dad took a bunch of people under his wing, a bunch of young men in our community dads weren't around and they wanted to, uh, they were interested in cars and being a mechanic and working on cars and my dad would take him under his wing. There's at least three young men that I know of that are fully grown and have families that hung out at the shop more than they ever hung out in their own homes and kept them out of trouble for a while and he taught them a bit of a trade and they're doing good things. But he never taught them about faith. Never something that my dad shared. Now, we see this importance of fathers teaching their sons, mothers teaching their daughters, of parents teaching their kids. But we miss what's about to happen. He's about to quote David, which means this isn't just Solomon imparting to his child, this is Solomon imparting the wisdom of his father onto his son. This isn't just about the Christian life being about raising Christian children, it's about raising Christian grandchildren. That if your vision of your family is just what's right in front of you, your kids, then you're missing the multi-generational effect of raising your children in the way of the Lord and raising your children in wisdom, raising your children in grace and knowledge. You're, you're really leading to grandkids. And I know I, I've shared this before at the church. Like, I'm not sure that there'll be much of a legacy of my life when I'm gone. Like, I like to think that people will be a bit sad when I'm gone, or at least party that I'm in heaven. Like, I, I like to hope that that's going to happen, but I don't know. I'm no author, and I'm not that famous. I'm famous. I don't mind, but I'm not that famous. But I think one of the greatest legacies that I hope to ever leave behind is that my kids are walking with the Lord. Then I have... I think I'll know I've arrived, or I think I'll know I've done good, is when my grandkids are walking. Because then it wasn't just me 
setting it up in my family. It's that my kids are now setting up in their family. And I have a hope that there's going to be a faith that's going to be set up in generation after generation after generation. Now, are there steps along the way where people go sideways? People say no? Yeah, of course there are. We're going to talk about that. But the hope that Solomon is imparting to his son is that the faith of his father is then going to flow through Solomon to his son. Now, we all know what happens in the story. Solomon loses his mind, walks the path of darkness, that it eventually, the son he's riding to, that wants to come to faith, wants to kill his dad. Like there's all of these terrible things that are coming in this story. So even as we read these, this isn't a Pollyanna vision of everything. If I just do a Bible study with my kid, if I just make sure all they watch is VeggieTales, if all we do is sing hymns around the house and we don't ever listen to that dark evil, then they're just going to know the Lord. That's not what's happening. We know that doesn't happen in Solomon's life. We know that's not. We know that. We know that even as we're getting ready to read the words of David, he was a train wreck of following God and walking away from Him and not seeing Him for who He was, but then a man after His own heart and all these, right? We know this. So this isn't be a perfect little Christian. Get to that. The path that we're walking has all kinds of twists and turns. And the one concept is that if we would trust God, follow Him, Him, never going to let us. Okay? Found a great quote. Um, you know, this thing works perfect. I think all of you must log into our Wi-Fi, download your update, click, and and you just ruin everything. And I even set up a whole other Wi-Fi band, and you still find a way. So it's all right. We'll get through this. The goal of Christian parenting isn't just Christian children, it's Christian grandchildren. I've kind of explained that. We're awesome. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her, she will guard you. Now, a couple things. Number one, there's a practical nature to this. If you keep the commandments of God, keep the, the teachings of God, you keep the word close, you'll live. This, isn't, this doesn't mean if you commit it to memory, you have to be perfect. What this means is there's a way of following wisdom that leads to a longer life. It doesn't mean that if you have the Bible memorized, you live to be 150. What it means is that if you see things that are in your path that are wise to follow, if you follow them, you might not die at the death. Does that make sense? Have you guys ever seen the Darwin Award? People do really dumb things, and then I mean, I described Darwin's theory of the adaptation, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, Darwin, well, that's a whole other lesson on Darwin. Um, if you read the actual title of the Origins of Species, it very much had an agenda that was about race. Race, race it wasn't about biology. Later. Now, when you do something dumb and you die from it, then we go, game surprises, right? That's kind of the nature of what Solomon is getting here to his son. Or what David is giving to Solomon, Solomon's giving to his son. 
is that you know things you shouldn't do. When you come across a sign on a mountain road and it looks like it's a complete exact turn, like it's not a gradual turn, it's just a turn, should you go into that turn going 80 miles an hour at night? No. You're dumb. You're going to end up on the side of the road or in a ditch. When you're driving along and the speed limit is 80 and you're like, that's arbitrary, I can go 140 on my motorcycle and nothing will happen. And then you lay on the side of the road and your flesh is skinned off and, and that's just that's what you get when you go too fast on a motorcycle on a road and there's gravel. That's you not heeding wisdom. Uh, it can go to other things. Like I remember being in chemistry class as a high school student and my chemistry teacher said, hey, we're going to play with some muriatic acid don't want to breathe this in. So what do I and my buddies do? We unscrew the cap off the bottle, we take a big whiff. And it like fries your brain, it goes straight to your frontal lobe, and I may have given myself a temporary lobotomy, but I think I'm better by now. Constant. Your, your people will teach you, people will tell you, do this, don't do that. You do it anyway. Like there is a way to live there's a way to follow some rules. And I, I'm the biggest guy that's like, is that really a rule that, need, that applies to me? Is that really something we should do? Do I need to do that? Is that really logical? Or is that just something that some government employee made up so that I can't have fun? Like, what is this? But if you follow the commandments of God, He's saying you're going to live. Even just the Ten Commandments. Don't go around murdering people. It won't go well for you. Don't go around putting other things before God because that creates an idol in your life and you're not putting God first. It's not a way to live. So David's giving to Solomon and Solomon's giving to his son. There's some practical things that we do that just leads a longer life. Shouldn't mainline high fructose corn syrup. Drinking three, two liters of Mountain Dew a day is not good for the future of your potential diabetes. It's not good for you. Don't do that. There are things we know that we shouldn't do. Smoking 12 packs of cigarettes a day is not going to go well for your lungs. Doesn't mean it's a sin. It's just stupid, right? Like there are things we know we shouldn't, shouldn't do that's going to lead to life. There's a practical nature to what he's saying. And then he says, get wisdom. Get insight. Seek this. Now remember, we know because we understand what's coming that the wisdom discussed here is Jesus himself. Establish that last so we could reread this with a different name for wisdom. Get Jesus. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake Him, and He will keep you. Love Him, and He will guard you. It's a, it's a push toward wisdom. That as you grow in your faith and you grow in knowledge, lean into that. Don't push away. And there's a million things in this world that are trying to pull you away from Jesus trying to pull you away from the wisdom that you know is right in front of you. And he's telling him, David saying to Solomon, don't forsake wisdom. And practically, you know, get to live a longer life because you aren't doing dumb things. You're not part of the, you're going to feed the tourons of Yellowstone, tourist morons of Yellowstone. That's a funny one to follow. Anyway, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Seems a bit silly, doesn't it? Beginning of wisdom, wisdom. So get some. How am I supposed to get, how am I supposed to start wisdom until I have wisdom? Isn't that something, that's why if you start looking at this word of wisdom throughout Proverbs, 
and you start interchanging the name of Jesus for the word of wisdom, it starts to make more sense. Because that seems silly. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. The beginning of being rich is get rich. Okay, well, how do I do that? The beginning of getting strong is be strong. No, how is the beginning be strong? Don't I have to get there first? Well, it's the beginning of faith is get faith. What? That's why we have to look at it. Jesus, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of a relationship, the beginning of growing in your relationship with Jesus is to have the relationship with him. That's the beginning. Foundational truth is I need Jesus and then wisdom comes. Get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. Get wisdom. Get the Lord. Follow God and insight comes. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Again, prize Jesus highly and he will exalt you. He will honor you if you embrace him. He will place on your head a a graceful garland. He will bestow on you a beautiful crown. It's all all salvation images. It's all pictures of what grace looks like. This multi-generational task is not just so that we can say, hey, I got me to Jesus. It's also saying that if you have this insight, if you're embracing Christ, you're embracing a relationship with God, you have grace around your head, you have a crown, this is telling us all that we can't live a dual life. You can't come to church on Sunday and then live the rest of the week like you have nothing to do with God. That it matters how you live when you get wisdom and you get insight. Prize Jesus, you exalt Him. He's going to put the grace of garland, garland of grace on you. It's a relationship. You don't get to just do one thing a week, coming to church and listening to a talking head, and then say, well, I did my duty. I'm out. You also don't, you can't just read the Bible and have a checklist and go, well, I read the pages today, and put no effort towards applying them to your life or letting your relationship with God grow. We can't live dualistic lives. Now, does that mean we're perfect? Of course not. None of us are perfect. I know a lot of you far from perfect. And I'm, I'm closer than you, but I hope when I say dumb stuff like that, the laughter is what good. hope. Because sometimes I say stuff, if you walk in and repeat that, you're like, that mic is such pure. Okay. We're trying to have a life that isn't filled with, with the duplicitous understanding of the world. That everything flows in the truth. Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the path of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Now, this is after David's done talking. This is Solomon then saying, Hear, my son, take the words of my father David, and now hear me. He's given us, can't live a a dual life. That all of life is under the glory of God. All of it. The stuff that you're not proud of, the stuff that comes out of your mouth, the actions, behaviors, things that come after you, the things that you do that you would not be happy people would know about. All of that is under the truth of Christ's grace. And then he tells us this. 
Now, if we frame this in a New Testament way, what we would say is progressive sanctification, which just means you're growing slowly, day by day, more into the image of God. It doesn't mean you reach perfection. We reach perfection when we die and go to heaven or Jesus returns. Until then, it's a long life of doing great, doing terrible, of growing close to God, of pushing Him away, of wanting Him more, of desiring Him, of being mad at Him, of having great moves of God in your life, and then having seasons where you want nothing to do with it. That's our progressive sanctification that grows us closer to Him. And that's what Solomon's getting at. Accept my word, so you have a long life. I've taught you wisdom. I've led you. Walk in this. You're gonna, your step won't be hampered. You won't stumble. Keep this core at your truth. Truth at your core. Do a Willy Wonka. That reverse that. Do it again. Now, isn't this the struggle that we're all in? Paul says that I do what the flesh wants, not what God wants. Isn't the struggle we're all, we're all in? We have days where we are really doing well. We're doing great. Following the path. We're on the way, the right way. We're doing how we should do. And it's something to take sideways. A few years of great service, a few years of feeling connected to God, and then six months feeling like nowhere around. Isn't that all of us? Great success over a sin that we've fought and fought and fought and fought. Hasn't even, it's been so far in the rearview mirror, we can't even fathom going after that again, and then it, it rears its ugly head one day. That's what he's getting at. If you hold truth to the foundation, the foundation that Jesus loves. That's why you never take people to Genesis when they, you start to study the Bible with them. I'd really like to learn more, more about Jesus, guy. What should we do? Revelation. Let's, work, let's read that together. No. Depending upon the personality, I usually go either to John or to Mark. If someone is short, sweet, to the point, analytical, they want to like dig in, and they're just, just the facts, I go to Mark. If someone needs to understand how much God loves them, they need to know the love of God, take them to John. And you start there. You don't start in Genesis and have debates over creation and how old people were and how is that possible and all these. You'll never get it. That's the worst place to start. You start with the love of Christ. You know that God loves you so much? God's Son stepped out of heaven. Love. Well, I don't understand this. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. What matters is that the Creator of the universe loves you enough to step out of heaven to be close, die for you, so that He can be with you. Do you know any kind of love like that? That has no agenda, has nothing to gain other than relationship with you. That all of your faults, all of the things that are wrong, all the things you have done, will do, things that you disagree, the things that you fight over, all of that means nothing to God. He loves you. You. He actually likes you. He doesn't want a relationship with you out of obligation because he has to. Well, I'm bled on the cross. I guess I have to love people. He likes you. He wants to be with you. And then he brings you in. He says, you're mine. You are mine. He reaches down and he says, mine. 
And like a loving father, he says, I'm never going to let go of you. And when you sin and you fall short and you fall off the path, stumble, doesn't look at you and go, oh, I made a terrible choice for you. Instead, he says, oh, it pains him when we start walking away. Pain, and like a good dad, he says, come on, come on. I put the foundation in you. You know I love you, right? From that foundational truth of love, then sanctification comes. We can cast off sin. We can change behavior out of love, not out of behavior modification. You can't just white-knuckle grip and go, I'm going to stop doing it's when we love Him and we understand His love for us, then change comes. And that's what He's getting at here. I've taught you. You know what you're supposed to do. You know this. But in those moments, when the choices start to come, times start to come where you can go this way on the path or this way on the path, it's that foundational truth love. It means more than anything else. Then he tells us the warning. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Have you ever been around people like this? <coughs> Sorry. They just love to get other people in depth where they're struggling. I didn't experience it in high school. I was a Christian right before I graduated. But I remember times when I, I was a I was a pretty good kid up until my sophomore year of high school, and then I was not. And I remember like having that foundation, and you know, my dad, my mom, like being a good kid, being you know pretty much out of trouble, and then friends like, hey, come on, Barry, let's do this. And I so wanted part of the crew. My parents had been divorced for a while. I bounced to Arizona and back to Indiana. So one, and so the enemy used that loneliness to hold me right along the way. And I remember being willing to do anything if I could have that connection. But we've all been around people like that, haven't we? They just want to pull you away. They find out. Like I, I didn't experience as a high school kid. Um, and not much as an adult, because, but there's the subtle pulling. If I can get Mike to do this once, if I can get Mike to laugh at what God would call sin, if I can get Mike to kind of be okay with things that aren't okay, then I'm going to pull away. I know you, I've known you kids over the years from Indiana and West Virginia and even here, where when people in the crew find out, following the Lord, finding out that you're a Christian kid, all of a sudden it's like a it's like a light bulb pops on. What? How fast green fast you know, try an illegal substance. It's almost a when we get the good kid. Well that's what Psalms talked about. There are wicked people in the world that would love like love nothing more to be able to pull somebody aside, kill the witness of Christ, say, 
oh, you think you're, but where's this come from? Think about the loneliness of this kind of activity. People that don't know love, everything is superficial. They don't know real relationships. They don't know what it's like to have a real crew in the corner, a real family, that everything is transactional, everything is just an attempt to fill a hole inside. So instead of letting the walls down, instead of allowing someone to come in and say, can I talk to you about this? Can we let the Spirit move in this moment? Can we talk about what real love is like? Instead, they just want to drag everybody down with them. Then they won't feel the condemnation of the Spirit. They won't feel like, like they're missing. And you can pick the peer pressure Hallmark movie, whatever it is. It's all over our culture. That if people are on a good path, people are in a good place, people that are in bad places on bad paths are going to try to pull people from that path so they feel better about themselves. They're not following the right path. It's everywhere. So Solomon's warning his son about this very thing. And we get lots of paths. Now I'd like to get into a conversation over sovereign grace, sovereign will, perfect will, permissive will. That's a whole other term that God has a plan, and that when He saves you and calls you to Himself, He then says, you're mine. And after that moment, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose the love of God. But we live in a permissive will environment where God allows us, the path of us to heaven, fit. But the twists and turns can come because He lets you have that part of your life. And that's the good father. Oh, if you would just follow this perfect path, if you would follow this way, things are going to work out for you. Uh, you messed that one up. Come on back to the path. So I found a map that most of you, you know what this is, right? So I'm looking at it. Some of you will know immediately. Where is this? Got it. So in the section where the all the mountain bike, mountain bike paths are, parts were crazy. We'll ride their bike. I like the mountain bike a little bit, but I've hiked that area, and there's some rock, sketchy bridges over rock. It's a little terrifying. Living in this area, we, if we do anything outdoors, understand where paths are taken. We all live that way here. If you go to Happy Jack, if you look up the path to Medicine Bow Peak, it's a, well, it's not straight. It's a if you look up the map, you start here and you end here. Follow the path. Right? But then if you look outside and you pick up the rest of the paths that are around that, that walk to the top of Medicine Bow Peak, you can go to Lost Lake, you can go to the Gap Lakes, you have all these other trails that are all over the place. Most, a lot of us have walked many of those trails. You go over to Kurt Gowdy, this is an area that a lot of people don't even really explore. It's over by the horse corral. When you, if you go into Kurt Gowdy, and I, don't, I can't think what the compass is, but if you go right instead of left, you're going to hit the horse corral. Go past the archery range, you land in these mountain biking trails. Most people go to Kurt Gowdy, they go to Hidden Falls, they go to those areas, they go around the two lakes, right? This area is wide open, and there's the colors tell us the difficulty of the trails. You go to Happy Jack, you jump on a trail. There's some pretty easy trails over there that you're going to ski on. There's some ones that I don't know how people ski on them. I usually just walk them anyway, with snowshoes or not snowshoes, sometimes not, or what. I don't, I mean, look, I don't walk the ski trails. Groomers are very upset. 
Do not do that. We all know. We all know there's different trails. There's different paths. There's different, and this is what he's getting at when we talk about the, the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. We all have paths that we come in contact with that are intertwined in our lives that lead us to, and every one of those paths can lead us away from God or lead us closer to God. And in His grace, when we take paths that lead us away from God, find little crossover paths that can lead us right back. But if you continually choose the paths away from God, that's what he's talking about, the practicality of life. Things are going to start to go bad. Not because you're being punished by God, but because you're not following the precepts of how He says you should live your life. There are many paths for us to walk. And He gives us the ability, He gives us the will to choose those paths. And you may have a very winding 20-year path of being far from God, and all it's going to take, He's never let go of you, He's never stopped talking to you, He's never stopped trying to call you to Himself, and it takes a tragedy that bumps you. And then you're like, okay, I'm ready to get back on the path. That's not His preference for our lives. preference for our lives we would continually walk that path. Now, we might the edges a little bit, might go off on a little detour, think we got a little better idea. The best path for our life is to follow Him. That even a real enticing, great-looking path might not be good for us. It might look great. Might be job opportunities, it might be relationships, it might be all these things that look like great paths, but if they're deviating us from our walk with God, it's not good. It's not good. I found this because I like to be cheesy. Perfect path leads us to Jesus. Think about your life. What in your life is leading you? Christ and what is taking you away from it. He ends this section. The path of righteous of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what to stumble. That's why Jesus is the word is a light to our feet. Jesus is the path of righteousness that can't have God without Jesus. Can't have salvation without him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That all this language throughout the New Testament is helping us to shore up that we following Jesus is the way. Following Him is the best for our lives. Now we have to be careful in that path of walking with Jesus that we don't create this secular spiritual divide because that doesn't exist. Everything is God. His glory reigns over everything. Everything is to be for His name to be known. We can't have this dualistic kind of life where I'm in three Bible studies during the week, but my employees wouldn't want to work. But I say, hey, I, I mean, I'm in three Bible Me and JC, we're tight. But then no one wants to be around me. I have the joy of the Lord in my heart and I sing all the great worship songs and then people in this town run when they see me walking into Walmart, how I, they know that I'm a jerk. They know that I'm not a person they want to talk to. I wear people out. It's not good enough to say, well, you know, my, my kids know the Lord. They got baptized right there in that baptistry. 
and then they can't stand the Christian home that I'm raising them in, and that leads them to be far from God because I wear them out. They want nothing, but I, well, no, I don't know what happened. I raised my kids in a Christian home. They were baptized when they were under 10. And then for the next 10 years of their life, I just made them hate the Lord because I never once led my house in a way I was just so difficult, hard on them. And then nothing they ever did was good enough. And then I could sit back and go, well, I don't know why they don't. Lord, I don't know why. Boy, do you... It's not, you can't just claim Christ and have a life that has no reflection. We have to be really diligent about it. It also means we have to be really grateful with each other. Because that means we're actually going to be our true, our closest, true, authentic selves we are. is not perfect. With all of our bumps, bruises, things we say incorrectly, and the ways we hurt each other's feelings, and the way we say dumb stuff, the way that we know how to push each other's buttons, the way that we can be our worst selves in the worst environment, we have seasons where we don't feel good, we don't feel right, things are twisted all around us, we don't feel like we belong. We don't feel like we measure up. We have all this thing, stuff just crushing our soul. We have to be okay with bringing people back on that path. We have to be okay with saying, I'm not okay. When we aren't okay saying that, we aren't okay saying, I'm struggling, I'm not doing okay, I don't know what's happening, I feel God's far from me, and we just hold it in, we're no good to ourselves, we're no good around us. None of them feel the pressure. You also don't get. You can't say, well, "I don't." This isn't, and just walk away. You need to have place safe. You need to have a place. I don't mean like safe. You need a place safe, careful, and a place that you can be trusted. You can trust others. Share what you're dealing with. If that's a professional, if that's semi-professional, like that. If that's a, a trusted friend, all of those are places that you can be true to yourself. So you can be as ugly, nasty, and lovely. You have those kinds of places. We have to fight. It's hard. But if once we can break through that divide, stop seeing this is the world faith, start seeing it all together, that's when we can walk those paths. Because then the enemy has no control over it. The enemy can't pull you over here and say, well, that's all great and Jesus-y. This is great over here because you as a person go, it's all the same. It's all great. There's some lines I won't cross, things I won't say, stuff I won't do, because it's not good for me. It's not good for how I'm going to share my faith. But I get to have a lot of fun. I get to have a lot of joy following God. You might even be a winner. At... We're all winners. We are not a okay. At least not in the men's cook-off. All right, last thing. Jesus is concerned with every area of your life. That's something else that needs to be said in the spiritual section of life. 
the littlest things. That's why don't ever. I feel like when we share prayer concerns Sunday morning, as soon as someone says that they're pray for me, I have cancer. Pray for me. I'm going into surgery. Pray for me. My house burned down last night. Then it kind of lets the air out of the room, and you are about ready to travel somewhere, and you are really nervous about the roads or nervous about air travel, if you really wanted to raise your hand and say, could you pray for me? I'm kind of nervous about traveling. Someone here just lost their entire livelihood. You're like, oh. My issues pale in comparison to this. Or, I mean, it's the classic. You have a job interview, you're studying for a test, you're waiting on an answer, and you're like, I was going to pray to help with that because that's really important to me, but well, someone there just had leg amputated, and now my my chemistry test doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. Granted, maybe you don't feel public. God cares about every aspect. You need to take all of that stuff to the Lord, all of it, from the smallest smallest thing that you might receive to the big decisions of life. He cares so much. He's the greatest friend that you will ever have. And he wants to know all the intimate and all the trivial details of your life. You can bring it all. Don't you ever feel that something's too little for him to care about. If it's causing you an issue, causing you some tension, causing you to even think about praying about it, he wants to hear about it. He loves you so much that he wants to know all those details of your life. That can be prayers in your head. It can be all the prayers, journaling them. You share it with a person. I don't care how you do it. Just know that God cares. And as you grow in that foundational understanding of Him caring every part of your life, that's the foundation that will help you walk the path. Not Bible knowledge. Not having all the badges. Not having everything memorized. You know you're loved by Him. cares about every part of your life. That foundation. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had together. I pray, Lord, as we go about the rest of our day, that we would be reminded that everything is done for your glory. The smallest things to the things we perceive to be the big things are all about you being made known in our own heart, deeper in our own lives, and those around us. I pray, Lord, that as we leave this space, that we can help others come to know that kind of love. Jesus, then we pray. Amen.